This is the Ironside Podcast with Tom Dinkelman and me, Brett Kane. Good evening, Tom. How's it going, everybody? How you doing, Brett? Doing great. And even better now that we're joined by a man who needs no introduction, but deserves all the accolades available, Mr. Ben Wilson. Ben, thanks for coming on. Brett, thanks very much for, uh, for having me, Tom. Good to be with you. Well, this is great. I'm, I'm so glad we were able to make this happen. You are, are such an incredible figure and you've done so much in a relatively short time. Can you give us just a, a thumbnail view of you know, who you are, what you're about, and, and we'll get into the more nitty gritty here in a bit, but just for those who, who might be new to, to you. Sure, absolutely. So uh, a little bit about my background. Uh, I grew up in in Northern California and uh, then went to, to Utah for college. I went to Utah State University, I'm an Aggie. And uh, when I got out, I got into the management consulting space. I did that for a few years, had a good experience, then went into tech marketing and did that for a few years. While I was doing tech marketing, I, uh, I started this podcast just for fun. Um, it was a history podcast called How to Take Over the World. And it uh, got some traction, started doing well. And then through that, I was able to have some opportunities to make that more of my full-time vocation. And so now I have been doing podcasting for uh, just over three years now. And they're awesome podcasts, man. I, I started listening just over two weeks ago and it's, it's phenomenal how to take over the world. You do it so well. You know, I'm, I'm a big history fan and, and there's some great history podcasts out there but yours is so palatable, you know, it, it's, it's awesome. I mean, I, I went uh, on a run and I ended up running 10 miles cause I didn't want to stop listening, you know, and, <laughs> and, and you kind of talked about that recently. Uh, that's one of the things like that. If, if you're excited about something or working on something that you forget to eat or you, you don't want to eat, you know, and I, I didn't want to stop because I, I loved listening to, to your podcast. So you do a really good job at it. What, what got you into the, the history side uh, of that? So, yeah. And the, the podcast, what it is for anyone who's listening might not know is uh, essentially it's the biographies of very successful, very prominent uh, men and women from history. And then with really an eye towards how they did what they did. So I like to say that it's a motivational podcast masquerading as a history podcast, right? Because, um, and, and that's how it started for me was that I really liked reading biographies and I realized that when I was done with them, I had just like this juice in my life. I had this extra, extra pep in my step of just like, oh, that is so inspiring to read about someone like that. And, um, and so I thought, you know, I want to retain that feeling for longer. I want to hold on to that feeling and that information for longer. So what if I just made something from it? What if I turned it into a short podcast to started talking about the things that I was reading? And so that's how it started. And um, yeah. Was there a specific one that you learned about that made you make that leap and say, hey, this is why I'm going to do it? Uh, the first one that I started with was the, yeah, it was a biography of Napoleon Bonaparte and, uh, and I read it and I was just, one of the things about Napoleon, if you study his life is just the kind of the volume of his accomplishments. 
And I had that feeling of like, oh man, I am this big. <laughs> like I have done so little with my life compared to this guy. And uh, so I just had this like, this like blinking light in the back of my head every second of every day for like three weeks. So I was just like, do more, accomplish more, be more active like he was. And I was like, yeah, I just, I want to hold on to this for, for longer. So that was the one that originally kicked me off. You know, it's, it's easy to have the desire to want to do more. And I mean, I, I think that happens with all of us, right? We, we have that epiphany or that moment where something just hits us and we say, oh, I want to do this. But how do you hold on to it to the point where you follow through with it? That's one of the things that I've been trying to think about is, uh, you know, obviously one of the reasons I wanted to do this in the way that I did it is picking apart some of those strategies and tactics um, that uh, from the great ones and being able to incorporate some of those in my own life. And one of the things that you realized when you study a, a lot of these people who were great and successful is that they're not forcing it. Like they're honestly not working that hard. Um, if you look at someone like, uh, well, Walt Disney is the episode I'm working on right now, right? Like this is someone who was from a very young age obsessed with making people smile and making them laugh and being a showman uh, came naturally to him. And he was drawing and doodling from, from the time that he could write in every spare moment that he had. And so this um, wasn't hard work for him, frankly. Sometimes you do need to like, um, there are moments, right? When you need to knuckle down and just force yourself to work. But if that's what you're trying to do with 90% of your time, it's just never going to work. You need to find those things that you can get lost in, that you can fall in love with, uh, where you're working hard, but working hard feels kind of easy to you, if that makes sense. So that's what been one of my takeaways is sometimes when things are really, really hard, it means you need to push through it. But sometimes it's your mind and your body telling you, no, you should be focusing on other things. And you kind of talked about that. You did that uh, short episode uh, about Coach Wooden and, you know, and having that, you know, 100% working hard. And then also that kind of that proving that contrary, that, that dichotomy um, with Edison when it comes to that, that creative process, you know, you, you do have to kind of, you know, dial it back a little bit and, and get in some, some levity as well. What have been maybe some, some stumbling blocks or, or, or some uh, hardships with this? Cause I, I mean, it, it doesn't seem like there's any, cause you, you do it with such a plum and confidence, but w was there ever a time where, where this was frustrating or, or difficult or you, you weren't sure you're going to keep with it? Yeah, absolutely. I had nearly a year where I didn't post and, um, yeah. So in a little bit of the history of the podcast, you know, I, um, I was doing it, it got some nice early traction. Um, but then it just kind of stalled out at a certain level of like a few hundred people that were downloading it per episode and podcasting. I mean, you guys have probably experienced this. It's tough to break through it's not like YouTube where the algorithm is just going to pick you up and all of a sudden you go viral. Like you got to fight for every inch of growth that you get in podcasting. Uh, what ended up happening was um, I had this, I guess you call him like a patron. Um, this guy, Sam Parr, who is a, a famous podcaster himself and uh, an entrepreneur tech guy who's, who's had a, an exit and 
has a lot of money and has done well for himself. And he decided that he loved the podcast. And so he started pumping it up and he's been a huge backer of it. And that took it from like a thousand downloads to like 30,000 downloads per episode. Um, and so it was kind of like overnight success. The thing that kept me going. And I think, you know, you, you need to know when you should stop projects like this sometimes, because, you know, not everything is worth following through on. The thing that kept me going was I didn't have that many listeners for a long time, but I had multiple people who would say, your podcast is my favorite podcast, like my favorite podcast. There's nothing else I would rather listen to. And I just thought, okay, I may not have found my audience yet, but if it's someone's favorite audience, then that means that like, if it's someone's favorite podcast, that means there's an audience for it. Like there, there are more people who would like to listen to it. So I guess I just had this confidence that if I got it in front of enough people, I would eventually succeed with it. I love that, man. That's, that's incredible. And, and that's true for me too. I mean, it's my favorite podcast. I, you, you very quickly surpassed, uh, you know, several big name podcasts that, that I could name that, that are great, that I still enjoy that are super popular but you do such a good job and you're easy to listen to and you're engaging and, and it's exciting. And I learned new things. You know, Napoleon was someone who I, who I thought I was really familiar with and learned some new things. And, you know, I, I know you typically do uh, deceased persons, but you did a, a series on Vladimir Putin. Uh, you know, very timely now for people to go listen to that, uh, that series as well. Although I have to say that's the only episode that I have any regrets about is, is uh, the Vladimir Putin episode. Why do you have regrets? What, what about it? There's just a book I used that like in retrospect was, was quite biased. And I wish I, I wish I hadn't. Uh, there's another one I used that was pretty good. So I don't have like major regrets, but there are a couple things that now having done dug into it a little bit more, I think like, mm, that's a little bit biased. So, so I might just do a little addendum on that one, uh, like a third part to be like, Hey, Here's some other things to consider. When I'd ask too, as you've gone through some of these, is there certain lessons that you've learned that you've incorporated in your life that were awesome successes and then other ones that were epic failures that just didn't work out for what you were, for what you were trying to do for you personally? Yeah. Good question. Uh, yes. On both accounts. So I'll start with the success because that's easier to, or at least it's more fun to answer. I don't know if it's easier to answer, but it's more fun to answer. The one there's, I, I did a mini episode on the superpower that Steve Jobs had, which was asking for what he wanted. It's like the most simple thing, right? And yet so many of us tiptoe around in life. And um, I just realized this, like Steve Jobs wanted, was a teenager and wanted to get into tech. And so he looks in the phone book, calls up Bill Hewlett, you know, CEO of Hewlett Packard on his home phone and says, Hey, I'm a high schooler around here in Palo Alto. I want to work for you. Can I have an internship? And that's how he would always work of just like, can I have an internship? And like later when he's again, the CEO of Apple, um, he, he talks about talking to, uh, uh, Bill Gates, actually Bill Gates talks about, uh, talking to him and, Bill Gates had been negotiating a deal with Apple for a long, long time. And um, Steve Jobs and the, the deal had like 
flounder and just gone through ups and downs and was kind of not working out. And Steve Jobs takes back over Apple, calls up Bill Gates and says, okay, here's what I want. I want you to promise you'll develop Microsoft Word for Apple computers for the next 10 years. Uh, I want you to make a $500 million investment in Apple to back it up. And I will drop the lawsuit against Microsoft, the antitrust lawsuit against you. Will you do that deal? And Bill Gates is like, yes, yes, I will do that deal. And like this, this deal that had been like in the works for years just got negotiated in minutes because he was like, this is exactly what I want. And he's just asked for it. And so incorporating that is like a weird superpower. So many people are afraid to ask for exactly what they want and just ask for it bluntly and straightforward. And when you do that, like you find it unlocks so many doors for you. Um, one of the things that I have uh, tried to incorporate that has not worked out well for me. Um, one of the, uh, there's, there's actually a couple things that I can think of. Uh, which one do I actually want to share though? Uh, one, one of the ones was, uh, was uh, Napoleon's sleep schedule I tried incorporating. So he had this weird sleep schedule. He'd go to bed early. He'd go to bed at like nine o'clock. Um, and he always woke up in the middle of the night. So around 2.30, he would start working because he just woke up. And so he'd work from 2.30 to like 4.30 and then would fall back asleep. He would sleep until like 7.30. And I was like, oh, I often wake up in the middle of the night. I often have trouble sleeping. Like, I'll do that. I'll just like be productive. But let me tell you, folks, especially if you've got a, a child, a young child who, uh, who cries, just, just take the sleep when you can get it, okay? Don't, don't be too cute about your sleep schedule. So that one I learned the hard way was not going to work for me, though. It worked for Napoleon. Sleep schedule eventually works out, I promise. My girls are old enough now that I don't have to worry about that. With you having a young one, yeah, it's a different story. I can't wait to get there. They only get more fun. That's good. That's good. Yeah. You know, my, my daughter, she's six. And, and so she's like kind of right in between uh, your, your guys' girls. And um, yeah, man, it, it, and it really goes by quick, you know, so, so don't be in, in too much of a hurry. Uh, and I'm sure everyone's told you that, but I mean, you're going to blink and, and she's going to be, you know, 10 and, and, you know, then she's going to be, you know, going to school or, or whatever. I, one of the most transcendent episodes that you did was on Laszlo Polgar. I, I thought that was really cool, you know, um, you know, raising a, a genius. And it was cool because right before I listened to that episode, I kind of had a paradigm shift. Uh, you know, I was always afraid of, you know, kind of you know, having too high of expectations or, you know, um, superimposing my hobbies and interests and skill set over my daughter, you know, I didn't want to, to pigeonhole her or, you know, I, I really liked uh, playing soccer. So I'm like, oh, I don't want to force her into soccer. Uh, and, and she loves it. I got to coach her uh, this last season. So that was cool. But, you know, I thought, okay, well, I don't want to put pressure on her. But then just lately, she's been like to tell stories and I read stories to her. And yesterday, um, I just listened to the Laszlo Polgar episode today. 
And, and yesterday I was talking to my daughter and I said, you know what, you can be the next Beatrix Potter. You can be the next JK Rowling. Like you can do this. You can be the best storyteller in the world. And it just kind of came to me that. And uh, so I, th I thought that was really cool. Um, she's six, you know, so I, I, I missed that window a little bit, according to Laszlo, you know, four to five. Um, what, what are you working on with your daughter now? I thought that was so cool on the Christmas episode, how you brought her in. She was just about a, a year old and, and you know, she, she said, bye-bye. And that was really touching because you are a professional, but you're, you're also a very personable, uh, and worthy father. Yeah. So, you know, she's 13 months old. Laszlo says the earliest you can start is, uh, I think three and a half is when he started his daughters three to three and a half is when he started them on chess. So we're in, I'm in discussions with my wife, the, 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 honestly, I do think, so here's the thing about Laszlo. If you have a criticism of him, he says, you can raise anyone to be a genius. Okay. Well, and he raises his daughters to be chess geniuses, which is a very cognitively demanding task. Well, it turns out that um, Hungarian Jews are to cognitively demanding tasks what Jamaicans are to sprinting, right? Like um, people joke that the Manhattan Project was a, was a science fair project from a high school in, uh, in the Jewish quarter of Budapest. Like hung, Jews specifically from Budapest are known for being like these incredible scientists and physicists and uh, just like some of the most intelligent people on, on the planet. So you think, okay, yes, Laszlo did an incredible job of raising his daughters to be geniuses. They may have also had some biological predisposition to be good in those areas. So I do immediately look at, okay, well, where do I think my daughter and hopefully my other children, hopefully someday, will have um, some biological advantage that they can build on top of. Right. So the, probably the highest, like, um, athletic or competitive achievement that either, um, myself or my wife ever achieved was that my wife, um, won state as a swimmer, um, in Utah. And she ended up swimming in college at the U. So very, very accomplished swimmer. And so, I think I'm leaning in that direction of she's probably going to have, and she appears, you know, she's only 13 months old, uh, almost 14 months, but appears already. She's got that kind of swimmer's body of like the long arms, the short legs, the long torso. Um, so, and she's tall. And so I think she'll be a good swimmer. So I'm leaning in that direction, but uh, you know, who knows? I got a couple of years to, to figure it out, I guess. That's awesome. Yeah, I that's so cool. I'll have to talk with your wife sometime because I love swimming. I, I've got to coach swimming. I, I swam in, in high school and college as well. I bet she is much better than me, even in high school. Like the boys team was just, you know, football players who want to like stay in shape on the off season. And the girls were really competitive. I, I mean, I don't think we won a single meet, but the girls like, I mean, they were crushing it. Um, so that that's awesome uh, that, that she did that. And uh, I was actually going to ask you, so the intro to uh, how to take over the world, really cool music, and you've got some some uh, quotes there, uh, Muhammad Ali, Conor McGregor. Do you have a, a background in, in combat sports or, or do you like them? I do. Uh, yeah, I, I like watching them. Uh, I don't have any background in uh, in combat sports at all, though, no. 
Yeah, well, we'll you and I will we'll have to put on the gloves and, and I'll show you some a couple combinations or something because you you got that you got that reach and you you it's, play basketball. It's something right? that I'm actually yeah I'm interested in uh, in getting more into. Unfortunately, are you in the Intermountain West, Brett? I I'm on the West Coast, unfortunately. You're on the West Coast, so I'm on the East Coast. So yeah, that probably is not gonna be something we're gonna do in person, but you know I'll find a way. Yeah, Brett told us the other day that he's willing to punch us in the face at any time. So he's ready to, <laughs> to teach us how to fight. So you mentioned your wife. How how did you and your wife meet, Ben? We got uh, set up on a blind date, actually. Someone that I worked for was in her parents' ward. Uh, her, yeah. And uh, so he connected the dots and said, oh, this guy who works for me is single. Keith Jowers in the ward is single. What if we, uh, and, uh, yeah, he set us up. That's awesome. Uh, that man, I, I bet you're going to bless that guy, his name, you know, for, for the rest of eternity. Yeah, absolutely. He got a special spot at the, uh, at the wedding dinner. What, what was a uh, courtship like? I and mean, how, how long did that last? You know, was it, was it love at first sight? You know, did you have to work on it? Uh, I would say, you know, it's interesting. Um, I was in the middle of starting my podcast. And when I started my podcast, I just knew I needed to just concentrate. I just needed to knuckle down. So I actually deleted all my social media accounts. So the only social media account I had was LinkedIn. So she looked at my LinkedIn picture. I looked at her LinkedIn picture. Uh, it's LinkedIn. So both of us had looked at these pictures and been kind of like, not really interested. And so our first, uh, when we first saw each other, we had the same reaction, which was not, I'm so in love, but was, Oh, I did not think you were going to be this cute. And because, uh, because both our LinkedIn pictures were rough. So it was, uh, it was something. There was a spark at, at, uh, at first sight. Um, and then our courtship was not long. We got married. Yeah, we, we met in uh, like September, October, and we were married in less than a year, like the following August. So, um, and got engaged in, in March. So I think that's a, pretty typical timeline for uh, people in our demographic and a very fast timeline for people not in our demographic. I don't know. It might be slow for our demographic. <laughs> yeah, it might be, I guess <laughs> a whole, a whole six months. What took me so long? I know. Yeah. Yeah. You didn't know right away, huh? <laughs> didn't pull the trigger. <laughs> no, I knew I actually, I asked her probably two months later than I wanted to because she was still, uh, she was still figuring out if she wanted to marry me. So Fair enough. And you earned it though. Yeah, I guess so. How long have you guys awesome. been married now? Uh, three and a half years. Right. That's great, man. Congratulations. And and it just keep, keeps getting better and better. You know, we, we kind of touched on this, each of us, you know, we're fathers of exclusively daughters, you know, so far. And I, I had a, a pretty significant uh, revelation uh when I returned home from my mission, and for those of you listening, we're, we're all members of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. And uh, when I got home from my mission, that that next conference, um, Elaine S. Dalton, she gave a talk called Love Her Mother. And it was about how the best way for a man to raise a daughter is, is to love her mother. And after I heard that talk, it, I just knew that I would have exclusively daughters and uh that that was you know and that was several years before i ended up getting married and and uh having my daughter but it was really cool and 
I, I know Tom's a, a great dad and, and Ben, I can tell you, you are raising a genius. And I think it's because you are a <laughs> genius yourself. Well, we'll see, but yeah, I mean, I, uh, I think that's a great talk. I I've, I've read that talk and, um, yeah, we had the experience the other day of we, we, I kissed my wife and my daughter saw it and she got this like big smile on her face and she was like so intrigued that we kissed and I just thought to myself oh has she like has she never seen me kiss her mom before like uh and then that was like a slightly sad thought and uh and uh made me realize like oh I need to I need to kiss my wife more in front of of my daughter so that even if she gets grossed out someday she knows that her uh, her dad loves her mom that's awesome. Yeah. You know, that's funny. Just last night, I, I, I kissed my wife and, and my six-year-old, like she was pretending to gag and, and throw up and she's like, gross. And, and I stopped her. I said, Hey, you know, I know you're just being silly, but you, you should be very happy that your mom and I love each other so much. And, and she you know, was just kidding, but yeah, I mean, that's, that's an important reminder. So Ben, I've got a question for you where do you see this podcast going? I mean, obviously you, you've got some other projects uh, you're, you're producing the, uh, what, what's the other one called my first million is, is that the other? So I, I only produce uh, a podcast with humble names, how to take over the world of my first million. I like, That's... I like to keep it <laughs> low key and subdued. <laughs> oh, it's awesome. I mean, those, those are, are great titles. Um, yeah. We, I mean, we, where do you, where do you see those going? Um, so, um, yeah. Yeah. My, and my first million was a show that was already uh, going and I, I kind of just worked with them and produced their show, but how to take over the world. Where do I see it going? Um, I don't, I, I don't know is the short answer. Um, I don't know. I, I do think that, you know, one of the things that I love about how to take over the world is um, one of the things that I love about how to take over the world is as one of the things I'm passionate about is this idea of role models, right? So I had a very inspired member of my bishopric, I think last year, who said, hey, I actually listened to your podcast and I loved it. Would you mind giving a talk in church? And for your topic, I want it to be, can you do an episode of How to Take Over the World on Peter? And I was like, yeah, great. I think that's a great idea. And so I came and I just wrote out a, a 10 minute podcast episode essentially on the apostle Peter and people had a, a tremendous reaction. People really liked it. And I had a, I really liked it. I really enjoyed writing it. And it just made me think like, ah, we've gotten away a little bit from um, this idea of like telling the stories of these people, like narrative stories about figures from the Bible and from the Book of Mormon. I, I think we try and focus more on principles and principles are good, but you need to tell the stories. You need to give people role models, right? So I just want to grow that. Like, I think that's true within the, the church, as you said, the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. I think it's true without, outside of it as well, just like in society in general. We need to do a better job of of telling stories of role models that people can emulate. So I just want to get it in front of as many people as possible. And, you know, probably someday that means um, growing it into um, a, a video 
like YouTube or, or, or some other way as well, having that component to it and um, just, just doing more and getting in front of more people. I think it's awesome you say that because I think, I think you're right. I think having those relationships and understanding who they are makes it easier to, to recognize the principles as well. I think that's part of the reason why series like The Chosen has become so popular. You know, I watch it with my girls and, you know, historically accurate on, you know, uh, on whether, on who exactly they were. I, I don't know that it matters as much as it is. We, we immediately get this perception and this understanding and, and a relationship that we may not have had otherwise. And to be honest with you, I think that, I think he's inspired. I really do. And I think that when, whenever you're uh, engaged in a good work to, to bring uh, something better, to see what, what good we can add to somebody, I think that many times we're inspired, uh, sometimes without even knowing it. Yeah, I agree 100%. And that's something that I've heard of as people saying, you know, I'm not interested in history, but I love your podcast. And I think you'd see the same thing within church settings too, of like, I'm not really interested in churchy stuff, but wow, David and Goliath is really interesting to me. You know, like I'm not really interested in, in churchy stuff, but wow, saints was incredible. Like I did not know all that stuff about Joseph Smith, you know? Um, and so um, I actually, I think saints was a great step forward in terms of, of doing more of that. So I hope that the church does more of it and independently of the church, I hope we can all find ways to do it more of, of weaving in those stories and, and setting out those role models for people. Well, I think too many times we take the talents that we have and we incorporate them into something secular, something to, to, to be prosperous in the world. And when we have those talents and those abilities, we could be creating a, uh, a more enlightened, even a, a more peculiar people like we really want to be. Yeah. yeah. I, I mean, I agree 100%. Uh, it's, and, I, you know, to me, this is a tough question of why aren't we more a more peculiar people? Like why it does seem like there's something almost a malaise in the church that's like almost systemic that uh, just like you said, it feels like a lot of times we're putting our best efforts into our careers and into our other things. And then we come to church and we're just going through the motions. A lot of times, I, though, I would say it, it feels almost like action is constrained. And if you try to do anything too exciting, that you get some, some sideways glances of like, why aren't you just following the program? Yeah, uh, so you I get, think we need to find the way to break out of that. You get pushback because it's not just going along to get along. I, yes, I honestly exactly. believe that uh, I have a theory that especially during the eighties and the nineties, we spent all this time trying to show people how normal we were so that we could attract people to, to be part of what, of what we have. And by doing so, we just simply adopted ways of the world as opposed to being the people that we are intended to be. I couldn't agree more. <laughs> I couldn't agree more. It's, it's a, it's a tough like it's one of those things, you know, once the cat's out of the bag, stuff to get it back in, you know, it's one of those, once you pulled that thread, it's hard to rewind it. It can be done. I'm not sure how it's, it's, uh, I don't know if you guys have ideas, I'm all ears, but I don't really know how to solve that. Yeah, honestly, I think it starts with, I think it starts with our kids. It starts with our youth. It starts with us remembering what it's like to, to, to be a man and to understand, like, I think that we've, the world has redefined so many good things and, and redefined them even to be, make them bad things. 
you know, we talk about, you know, patriarchy and, and the truth is, is that uh, when done properly, I mean, we, we work with our spouses to be, you know, well, equitable with each other. And we, and we feed off of each other and, and we raise righteous children and, and, you know, strong, strong boys, strong men, righteous daughters uh, that become great women. But when we become complacent, then that's the example that they have. So it starts in the home. 100% starts in the home. I think that society systemically has a problem with the house, with the nuclear family, with all those things that, that come with that. You know, this conversation makes me think of um, two conversations I had recently. One was in Sunday school, and we were talking about the Articles of Faith. This was late last year. How 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 Latter Day Saint is your audience? Do I need to keep explaining do, these things? Oh, uh, it, it's there's a mix, but do, yeah. I mean, it's okay. Do what you want. Yeah, yeah. All right, good. All right, all right. They'll look it up uh, if, if they're yeah. confused. Yeah, yeah, they can, yeah. yeah. They so can this DM is all us. within. This is all within the context of the church of Jesus Christ Latter-day Saints. If, if none of it makes sense to you, uh, if some of it doesn't make sense, you call your local missionaries and play yeah. this podcast for them. Got a couple they'll, guys they'll explain to you what I'm talking about. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so I'm in Sunday school. We're talking about the Articles of Faith. We're talking about Article of Faith 10. And uh, let me just pull up the text really quick. Um, because in Article of Faith 10, it talks about um, the... Uh, gathering of Israel and the establishment of Zion. Okay. So talking about (laughs) um, article of faith 10, I'll just read it really quick. We believe in the literal gathering of Israel and in the restoration of the 10 tribes that Zion, the new Jerusalem will be built upon the American continent that Christ will reign personally upon the earth and that the earth will be renewed and receive its paradisical glory. Okay. So, um, the teacher is talking about it and says, okay, so this article of faith is about, um, is about establishing Zion. And what is establishing Zion? Big pause. It's doing missionary work. And I just wanted to be like, no, no, no. It says right there, Zion, parentheses, the new Jerusalem. Like, yes, uh, part of the work of Zion is doing missionary work, but like, it's literally building a city called the new Jerusalem. And like, that's cool. And that's exciting, but you're right. It's weird. So we don't want to talk about it anymore. So you pretend like it's just inviting people to church. So we water it down. So we water it down, We water it down. And, um, another experience I had was, um, I was in a a church meeting and I was asked to, uh, share a, a spiritual thought. And I shared from Moroni, uh, seven, um, yes, Moroni seven, verse 37. And, um, I, (laughs) so he's talking about gifts of the spirit and miracles. And, uh, he's, he, you know, Moroni, or maybe it's Mormon talking here says, um, you know, shall miracles uh, cease from the earth? Nay, for it is by faith that miracles are wrought, and it is by faith that angels appear and minister unto men. Wherefore, if these things have ceased, woe be unto the children of men, for it is unbelief, for it is because of unbelief, and all is vain. And I said, look, we always apply that to like the world and the restoration, but it applies to our ward and to our lives as well. Like if we don't have actual miracles in our lives, it just means we don't have enough faith. And um, who, a person who was in the meeting, said, um, 
said, yeah, you know, miracles like getting our youth to church and onto missions and, um, and like finding new people to, to baptize. I want to be like, no miracles, like miraculous healings and the apparition of angels, which is what he literally says, the ministering of angels and like real miracles. And we're just things that we can't justify otherwise. There's no other way to explain it. Yeah. Yes. And so we're so like, we just want to be so normal or so uncomfortable with the idea that like someone would speak in an unknown tongue or that we would make an actual claim. We pray all the time. We don't pray anymore that someone will be healed. We pray that the hands of the doctors will be guided to to heal them, which is fine. Right. But like, whatever happened to like, be thou healed, you know? So like, um, I think sometimes we shy away from like really leaning into truly believing in the gospel and being that distinctive people. And we just want to water it down and be normal. Yeah, I, I agree 100%. It's, it's in, so my, my youngest, when she was born, was born at week 26. So, and I remember those, those moments of, of absolute fear. And, and part of that stemmed back to uh, my mission, my first mission president talking about when he had a daughter that was born and he said that she, she was premature. She was in really rough shape. He gave her a blessing for her to be healed. And, and for the next two or three weeks, she just hung on and hung on and hung on. And the doctor who also happened to be his bishop came to him and he says, Hey, Joe, we need to talk. He says, you gave your daughter the wrong blessing. And he looked at him. He says, I know I did. So he went in and he gave his daughter a blessing that she could pass away. And within moments she passed away. So here I am with my daughter and I, I was scared to death. I'm a young father. I didn't know what to do. I asked my father-in-law to give the blessing. I couldn't do it because I was, I feared that I would say what I wanted to say, as opposed to what the Lord wants to, wants me to say. And I think, I think sometimes that same fear is what gets us to say, uh, let's pray for the doctors as opposed to, no, just be healed, you know, as opposed to let's just ask for the miracle. Let's Steve jobs this with God and just ask, right? (laughs) (laughs) That's exactly right. No. Yeah. (laughs) That was a good callback. (laughs) No, that that's, that's awesome. I mean, I I love you guys so much. And, and you guys, you know, we talked about this off, offline, each of us in, in our respective wards or, or congregations, uh, you know, for those listening, we're all serving uh, in a leadership uh, capacity with the young men, you know, the, these boys, you know, ages 11 to 18. And, you know, it's funny because we have all daughters, but it's, it's exactly for that reason, because, you know, we know uh, the follies of our own youth, and we know what kind of young men we want our daughters to eventually marry. And and I think, you know, we're talking about how we can change this. And and Tom, you said it starts in the home. And and Ben, you had that great experience with that intrepid uh, member of the bishopric who who said, hey, do a podcast episode for your your talk in church. And that's awesome. It's, and it's going to be these little things like I, I really like combat sports. And, and so for our first activity, when, when I was called to, to serve with the, the priest quorum and I said, and, and these guys, you know, none of them have fought before. I said, Hey, I'm, I'm going to teach you uh, some boxing. I'm going to teach you a little bit of Muay Thai and I'm going to teach you a little bit of jujitsu. And then we just had like a fight club like, in, in my yard and, you know, they're rolling around and, and fighting and, and it was really cool. And I, th- I think some parents, you know, were a little bit, uh, you know, um, 
surprised by that. Some were scandalized, uh, but nobody got hurt. You know, we pray for that. Um, but it, it's going to, it's going to take people doing things outside of the box. And, and I love what you said about miracles. My daughter, she's six and, and one of her gifts of the spirit, she has the faith to be healed. I mean, since she was really little, anytime she's been sick, I've given her a blessing, boom, after the blessing healed. And, and that's, you know, not any power of mine, but that's a, a gift from God that she has that faith to be healed by his power. Yeah, I wish that's something that we talked about more is gifts of the spirit, because um, I don't know, like there are all these church talks that say, like, don't share experiences that are too sacred, right? But I'm like, I I get that. But also, like, have you read the scriptures? Like, that's kind of what that, that whole thing is. Um, and it, it doesn't seem like the early saints in like were shy about sharing when they had seen miracles. And so I'm in this limbo of like, you know, I have seen miraculous healings and I have dreamed dreams and seen visions. And am I not supposed to share those? You know, I don't, I don't know. And so I think sometimes when we lean too far in that direction of not sharing the sacred, it gives everyone else the impression that the days of, of miracles have ceased. Well, where does that stem from? I mean, is this the, the same thing that, that when we, when we start talking about the family proclamation and we preface it with, okay, now we need to be careful not to offend anybody. I mean, are, are we, are we afraid? Are we afraid to share those because we feel like other people haven't had them or is it that because we're afraid that we're going to be looked at differently because of it? My impression is that there was actually a talk from President Packer who was like, don't share things that are overly sacred. Don't necessarily share. And I think the thing that he was trying to get away from was essentially members of the church who were like, oh, you think that you had a cool dream? Listen to this, you know, which, okay, fair enough. I see why you would want to correct that if that was happening of like people getting competitive essentially with the miracles that they could talk about. But if that's, I, so I think that's where it comes from is like that kicked off this movement of like, don't talk about cool, sacred, miraculous stuff that happens in your life. I don't know. I, I just feel like there's so much value in it. And sometimes, sometimes those cool, sacred experiences, if we're not watching for them, we don't even notice them. You know, I, I've had times where I remember one of the, what I thought was for me was one of the awesomest experiences I had in answer to a prayer was I knelt down and I prayed and my answer clear as day was, why are you asking me? You already know, you know, and, and it was humbling, but yet this, this epiphany of, and I'm trusted. I mean, and that, that experience for me, that's a, that's an extremely sacred experience, but I also feel like that's one that I just need to share. Uh, you know, it, <laughs> I feel the same way. I had an experience where uh, this is going to sound odd to people, but a couple of years ago, I was kind of having this thought around miracles. And I thought, I would like to dream. I would like to dream. I would like to have a meaningful dream. I've never, that's something I've never had in my life. And I, I like, I, I was not sure. It's like, is this okay to ask for? Can I ask for that? Can I, can I pray for that? I didn't know, but I was like, you know what? I've always erred on the side of, no, of like not asking for things if it's not okay. 
what if I just err on the side of asking God can tell me no, if he wants to, but I would like to experience communication with him in that way. So I started praying to have a, a dream from God, a meaningful dream. And, um, the, the distinct impression I got was, um, essentially that like, I'm already, I'm already talking to you through dreams. You need to get worthy to see and understand. And I ended up having a very, very meaningful experience. One of the most miraculous things in my life. And I did have this scary thought of like, have I been having dreams this entire time? But because I wasn't thinking about it, I wasn't asking for, I wasn't paying attention. I wasn't tuned in to like, what am I dreaming? I wasn't thinking about it, that all these like, the emails from God are just sitting there in my inbox that I never opened, you know, and that's kind of a, a scary thought. That's that's awesome. Thanks. Thanks for sharing that for sure, man. I, I love that. And I think that that's an, a, a great example. You know, we, we ask God for these things and, and we were talking about blessings earlier and it reminds me uh, in, in uh, our come follow me curriculum for this week, you know, we're talking about Enoch, you know, speaking of, of building Zion, and you know it's it's interesting because one of Enoch's insecurities was that he felt that he was uh, slow of speech, and that and that's why people hated him because he he wasn't you know good at, at speaking. Uh, but the Lord says, "Hey, you know, open your mouth and I'll fill it." And so there's part of that we we're, we are going to get things from the Lord. But then a little bit later, the Lord says, "You know, don't worry." you know, all your words, I will justify, you know, so it, it's, it's kind of like a chicken, you know, or an egg thing, you know, it's like, does, do we get it from God? And then we say it, or do we say it? And then, you know, if it's right, God, God makes it happen. And, and I think it, it's, I think it's both. Um, and and I, I think that sharing these experiences, we're, we're going to have to look for the opportunities and, and make those opportunities to share them in the right context uh, and not, not worrying about it. One, one thing that I love to share is, you know, I, when I was in college, I, I burnt my hand really badly uh, at, at a campfire. Um, we had piled up these stones and there were some girls there with open toed shoes. And one of the stones like was loose and, and was rolling down. So I reached down and caught it. And of course it was burning hot. So I burnt my hand really badly. I, I asked a, a couple of the guys there for a blessing, gave me a blessing, boom, no, no burn. And in, it was like, that's really cool. And, and that is 100% real. You mentioned uh, the saints series and, and those are awesome stories. Um, the one in there, uh, Amanda Smith, you know, and her seven-year-old son when his hip was shot away and, and miraculously restored. I was just listening to a talk from president James E. Faust today where he, he talks about that story too. So these sacred experiences are, are so essential. And, and you're doing a great job, Ben, because you're sharing these historical events. I, I'm really looking forward to your Brigham Young episode and your Joan of Arc episode, because there's two people who, who definitely had um, many miracles in, in their lives. And you know, you, in your Christmas episode, you talked about St. Nicholas and the father of, of those three daughters, you know, he, you know, told him not to tell the story, but he ended up sharing that, you know, sacred experience. And, and now we're, we're so blessed for it. So I, I, I think that's a good example. Well, I think there's a lot of times too, that we don't ever get to the big things because we don't spend enough time with the reps, with the small ones. 
I mean, we don't just have the conversations with the people that are already close to us and actually have these in-depth, meaningful conversations. You know, we keep them only in our home. We avoid having these conversations with with men uh, that could obviously, that are our friends, our neighbors, that could uplift and, and give us some more insight. And because we don't do that, how are we ever going to be prepared for the big ones when we're ready to have those, when we need to have those? Yeah, I agree. And, you know, a little bit like, um, um, I also think part of it too is um, we have so, we talk so much about um, like milk before meat, the small and simple things of the gospel, da, 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 we harp on them. But it's like, actually, yes, I agree. But the small and simple things are also the deep things, you know, like faith. If you really try and dig into faith, you know, the most deep lecture you'll find from Joseph Smith is called lectures on faith. Right. Um, and uh, like, and so it's not just like, oh, um, they won't let me talk about collab. It's that like, we are afraid to have real conversations about faith to like really dig into faith, to really dig into repentance and what that means. Like, it's, it's not that we need to go off and talk about the weird stuff, though I do think that would be nice sometimes, but that like we're, we're letting the small and simple stuff pass us by by not fully exploring it. No, I, I think you're absolutely right. I remember even, I remember on my mission one time, uh, my mission president was not opposed to us asking any of the deep questions. He'd always remind us, hey, remember though, faith, repentance, baptism, the gift of the Holy Ghost. I remember one time we were trying to figure out during the Mount of Transfiguration, why the tabernacles were built when some of these that were visiting didn't have bodies. And so I asked, he's like, I don't know. He's like, let me call it, let me call Salt Lake. He called Salt Lake and they said, we'll get back to you. Two weeks later, they called back and said, we don't know, but it doesn't matter. <laughs> right. So sometimes those conversations are, are ones that maybe they're not important for now. They'll be important later, but that we don't need to know them now. But when we start digging into those, maybe we simply find something else that that we didn't know we were looking for maybe there's some more understanding of faith there's some better understanding of repentance that had we not dug in we wouldn't have found i mean we were talking today blood atonement <laughs> right so i mean there's 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 lots and lots and lots that we just don't have an understanding for that we can find if we look it's to me it's just having like an aggressive stance towards the gospel if that makes sense of uh, like it almost doesn't matter like hey don't explore blood, blood atonement because there's nothing interesting to learn over there anyway like okay you may be right but if like all you do is keep cordoning off things that I can't look at and you're just telling me like sit back and take what I've already got okay then like you're right most of these paths that I go down it's very likely that I'm not going to find anything in, in blood atonement that's interesting or useful to me um, but like if I have that aggressive attitude of like, I want to learn as much as I can about everything I can about the gospel, then that is going to, to teach me a lot. And you're going to find hidden gems in, in the places that you least expect to find them. Yeah. You know, that reminds me of what you're talking about earlier about role models. And, and I'm going to say this as apolitically as I can, but we see, you know, there's such, such a rejection of these historical figures uh, for, you know, a multitude of reasons, uh, most, if not all of them, 
fabricated, but you know, like I'm a big fan of Napoleon. There are people who think, you know, he's a terrible villain, you know, and, and there are people who take down statues of, you know, uh, Robert E. Lee. Um, and he was a, a great man in, in my estimation. And we can learn so much. I mean, people complain about Abraham Lincoln or George Washington and anybody, any, any historical figure, I think we can learn something from. And, and that's why I'm so excited about your podcast, because you you are sharing these stories and, and these valuable lessons from, you know, Vladimir Putin for crying for crying out loud, um, you know even people that we we might not have an interest in, or you know are regular people, and by regular people I mean you know they they uh, had vices and and shortcomings like we all do, but they nevertheless were able to to take over the world so to speak. Um, what's what's your thought on that of, of exploring these? Uh, controversial for lack of a better term characters yeah i think um so i've got a a series coming up the, the current plan is um disney finished that series then brigham young joan of arc and then i want to do a world war ii series on fdr churchill hitler and stalin all together and like of course I recognize the pitfalls and dangers of doing like an episode on, on Hitler and how like that will be looked at. Right. Um, but I almost feel like, um, you know, there's the saying that power corrupts, absolute power corrupts. Absolutely. And, uh, there's some truth to it. There's definitely, we know, we know that it is the disposition of all men when they have a little bit of power to, to, anyways. um, but at the same time, if we completely shy away from power, from just the idea of power in general, if we tell everyone who's good and who will listen to us, stay away from power, then the only people who will end up in power are bad people who don't listen to us, if that makes sense. And so it's like, you almost have to study the lives of people like Hitler and like Stalin and like Putin and people that you might not like and that might not give you warm and fuzzies to learn about because you have to make sure that there aren't any sort of like um, dark magic secrets that they know about that we don't know about because if they do then they're going to be able to exploit them and people who want the best for the world are not going to be able to use those to combat them at all so um, I think and it's also just important to learn those stories those stories are a part of of who we are and a part of our history and um many there have been many many good people in in our history there have been many bad people and the vast majority fall somewhere in between and um i just think it's it's foolhardy to try and even before you know how, and how can you even make the assessment if you haven't like studied the story first right so um i, I think uh, we, we shouldn't shy away from learning those stories well, I'm I'm really looking forward to to all of those episodes, uh, especially the World War II series. My grandfather fought in World War II, and and uh, that that's a period of history that I, I worry that so many of our youth today you know, are are forgetting. It's it's crazy. Um, history is so rich, and and I like the way you framed it. That your podcast, you know, it's it's kind of like a motivational and, and self improvement. Um, 
you know, with, with uh, history flavor. Yeah. And uh, it's, it's awesome. You do such a good job. And well, I, I know we've taken up a bunch of your time tonight. I could talk to you forever, uh, but I know you have a, a wife and daughter and a myriad of other responsibilities to handle, but just as we're wrapping up, how can people support you? How can they find you? Um, how can we keep moving forward? Yeah, just um, search for How to Take Over the World wherever you get your podcasts. And uh, if people feel like it, they can go to Apple Podcasts and leave a five-star rating and review. And that helps me. But um, this has been great. Thanks so much for having me on the show. I, I really appreciate it. And it was really nice to, to talk more. Brett and Tom, it was very nice to meet you. Yeah, nice to meet you too, Ben. I really appreciate it. Yeah, absolutely. And anything else you want to say to our listeners before we, we sign off and any previews of coming attractions for, for your next episodes? Uh, no, if you're the kind of person who, uh, who likes this show, I think, um, I think you'll really love the Brigham Young episodes that are coming up. So stay tuned for those, but, um, yeah, thanks. Thanks again. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much, Ben. And, uh, for all you listening, thank you. And, uh, please go ahead and, and, uh, start listening to how to take over the world so that you can take over your own world. And until next time, this has been Tom and Ben and Brett out. <laughs>